Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with comic book creator Doug Wagner. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really good. It's a, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you again. Um, we'd previously been on Salt City Geeks and talked some Black Panther, and um, excited to have you on my show tonight, so this is awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I'm excited to be on, so I'm interested to see what we get to talk about. <laughs> yeah, anything and everything, right? Yep. <laughs> um, so just a minute ago, before before I did the intro, we started kind of talking about the the weirdness of America right now, and, and you had brought up something pretty interesting, saying if you tried to write it right now, it would be almost unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you put this in a comic book or even like in a movie or a TV show, I'm not sure people would believe it. Like they'd be like, yeah, there's no way there's only two versions of, say, gun control. You know, like it's either all or nothing. And so, like, I mean, if you put that in there, people would be like, oh, no, there's common sense people who would be like, oh, no, there's a middle ground. But here we are. You know, like we're in we're in this strange space where, like, I, I, I mean, it's I don't know how you describe it. Like it's one of those weird places where, like, people now are picking one side or the other. And there's no middle ground for anybody to, to like stand in. And I just, I don't understand what's happening. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I wonder if it is a product of social media that it, it's so easy to have this level of keyboard comfort and just be able to just, you know, if, if you got thoughts that you really are super passionate about and you can just bang them out there. And if anybody has the slightest disagreement, you're not looking them in the eyes. And I, I would just, I mean, fuck, you see lots of stuff on the news and stuff with people at rallies screaming in each other's faces. So maybe it really would be like that. And I'm just being an idealist. I don't know. I, I, I'm, it's interesting because I read an article the other day about they basically said social media is making us, you know, stupider. And, uh, and it just goes on to, you know, like more people have checked out. Like there's more people now that believe the earth is flat than ever in American history. You know, just from what they're gathering on the line now, you know, obviously that can be skewed because they're like, hey, more people are going to the Flat Earthers website. I will admit I've been to the Flat Earthers website because, <laughs> like, I had to know. Like, I'm like, I had like if you can prove to me, I mean, I'll be open minded about it. Let's talk about it. You know, I mean, but the second you get to like, oh, it says in the Bible that the Earth is flat. I'm like, well, that's not proof, guys. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know, man. It seems like the internet, you know, you'd think here we are in a point in Amer- or world history where everyone has access to all the known knowledge to human beings, and it's making us stupider. Yeah. I mean, you got all that knowledge at your fingertips, but then you can also get distracted by like cute cat videos and, and yeah. shit like that. And it's what, it, human nature with a lot of... A lot of people are hedonistic, and you're just going to chase that. It's easy to just veg out and watch Netflix all day rather than you know do something that would kind of expand your mind. Not that there's anything wrong with watching Netflix. You got a good show. I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, just maybe a poor analogy, but you, you do. You have more computing power in a phone than they had in NASA. You know that that old quote when they shot people to the moon. And right. And so many people use it to just argue with total strangers and shit like that. It's, it seems like a waste. Yeah. Well, you, do you remember that like one that was going around where they had like the two pictures of the dresses and oh, they were yeah. like, what color is this dress? 
and like people lost their minds over that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is what we're arguing about. Like <laughs> we're arguing over what color the dress is on your computer screen. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the scientific explanation of that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. The, the whole cones and rods in your eyeballs and was it different numbers of them? And yeah. Just, you know, varied genetics or whatever. And Wow. I don't know. That's one of those things that then all of a sudden I'll go on like a deep tangent thinking about that. I'm like, what else looks different? What, <laughs> yeah. what, how else are we perceiving the world differently from people around us, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about the whole thing, too, is like everybody, every single human being has a unique perspective. And so, you know, when we're talking about things and we're like, hey, so we all agree today that the sky is this shade of blue, right? Nobody can agree to that because everybody sees it differently. Yeah. So the fact that we haven't like killed each other off already is kind of amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you look at it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the most recent scientific estimates were that we've had this brain for over 200,000 years now, if not longer. Wow. Yeah. So that means 200,000 years ago, people were, had the same thinking capacity, you know, and, and who knows what sort of knowledge they might have had. Right. Have, uh, have you ever heard of any of like the, oh, like the ancient civilization theories and stuff like that? Like Gobekli oh, Tepe yeah. and stuff? Yeah. 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 Like who knows what, what was going on back then? Yeah. I mean, even if you just drift back to like even just the Mayans, right? And what they accomplished was zero technology. Like, you know, aligning an entire building so that it's perfectly in alignment with the universe. And on particular days of the year, it shines through the little bitty keyhole. You know, like, (laughs) I I wouldn't even know where to start on something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like some high-level mathematics and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were crazy and they killed a lot of people. But, you know, there was some crazy astronomy going on there that, like, I'm not sure we could duplicate today if we had to. Yeah, that's one of the trippiest things about the ancient civilizations is the amount that they knew about the stars and like planets that, you know, weren't even discovered with super powerful telescopes until, you know, what, thousands, hundreds of years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's always been one of those things that's like really tickled my imagination. Yeah, those are always fun things to think about. (laughs) Good mystery, right? Yeah. Oh man! So, um, you know, you you're coming off a pretty exciting year. Last year, you had two huge comics come out with uh, Plastic and Hard Place. Yeah, I mean, dude, I you know, I'm 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 still kind of blown away by it, and a little bit speechless when it comes to talking about it because I don't understand what happened. You know, it's like one of those lucky, like, I mean, obviously with Plastic, right? We're, we were writing a book that we weren't sure people would pick up because it's just so odd. And to have, you know, like the first two issues sell out on first day was just like I Skyped with Daniel because he lives in Spain. And we were both just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, what what did we do? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, there was plenty of people that told us, you know, don't put this book out. Nobody's going to buy it. So to have it do so well, just really, really blew both. Well, the whole team blew everybody away. That book is just such a perfect fit for Image Comics, too. I can't imagine that anybody that had read Image Comics would say that. 
I mean, like, yeah. oh, it's just mind blowing to me. I mean, you got you got some really fucked up books and image and like that are really compelling and just great reads have, you know, they wrap up really well and plastic fits in perfectly with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about images. Like what's great about them is they've got stuff fucked up on every end of every spectrum. And so if you're looking for something different and cool and, and something that you might enjoy outside of regular comics, I mean, image usually has it. So that's why I love working with them. Yeah, that's too cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> that had to have been a pretty awesome feeling when you were told, like, like, yeah, plastic's getting picked up by image. And uh, <laughs> here you go, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it was, it was incredible. We were so thankful that, they, you know, Eric decided to pick up the book. And then uh, he also picked up The Hard Place. And that was, you know, like a totally different kind of genre book than plastic. And, uh, you know, but, at, you know, after talking to Eric a little bit about both of them, he kind of understood that we were trying to do something different on both books. And he, you can tell he kind of embraces that. He's like, yeah, hey, you're not trying to do just what you've seen. You're trying to do something new. Now, you know, whether you're successful at it or not, it's always a gamble. But on both books, we were really trying to do something that maybe hadn't been done visually, storytelling wise, whatever it might be. We were trying to do something different. Yeah, I'd say the hard place definitely has that different feel to it, and it's in a very good way. Um, I think there were sample pages in was it one of the middle issues of Plastic, right? And it had the excellent bathtub scene with, oh, yeah. uh, with the with the gangster dude. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm loving Plastic. Doug Wagner's got another book coming out. Yeah, let's read the sample pages. And just the way that ended, I was like, holy shit! I like. Next time I was at my comic shop, I was like, "Yeah, put Hard Place on my pull list too." <laughs> that's all. I mean, I'm glad it worked out that way. That's uh, that. You know, the whole point of putting those in there was hopefully somebody would pick it up. You know, so I'm glad it worked. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, man. It, it, it's kind of funny when I go back through some of my old back issues that I initially read in trade and then got obsessed with the idea of having the single issues, and so then stalked eBay auctions until I got them. Right. And I'd go through and read them again. And like reading really old issues of Nailbiter or something and then finding uh like the preview for Birthright and it's like, holy shit, this was the first time people heard about Birthright. Yeah. And you know, it's really cool. It's it's kind of a neat feeling to to get to the back of a book and see those. Oh yeah. I mean it's that's that's what's always fun about the back of the book is trying to figure out what to put in it, you know, that hopefully you know, the readers will enjoy, you know, without the same time being too like overly commercialized. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's a that's a fine line to walk when you're a creator. Right? Oh yeah, yep. Because you can definitely inundate them, you know, with like endless ads over and over and over again. And what happens is they usually just ignore them. But you know, I think if you can get them to like like what I loved about what we did at the end of plastic was you know the like little two pagers of each person on the team kind of saying, "Hey, this is what I did." And, you know, that way they kind of read afterwards and hopefully keep them in there so that when they do get to some of the preview pages that we're doing for the other books, they actually spend a little time looking at them. Yeah, that's a solid plan, man. I mean, it worked. <laughs> you yeah. heard me on the hard place. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and, dude, those books couldn't be any more different in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're super similar in that they're both, like, really tight, solid miniseries. But... I mean, just totally, they're very different. Like, plastic is, 
I, I have always had such a hard time describing this book to people. <laughs> Yeah, because on the too. one level, it's like you can describe it as, okay, it's this great romance story where the girl is threatened and the guy has to come to her rescue. And people are like, oh, yeah. Like, you've heard that story before, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, the girl's a plastic fuck doll. <laughs> and yeah. their eyes are like, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> but then with The Hard Place, man, with it's just this like pulse-pounding adventure. And I remember... Like tweeting, he was either tweeting or Facebooking about it. We're reading, finishing issue three or four. And I was like, this book is giving me serious anxiety. I cannot wait for next month to see what's going to happen next. Like, what a ride. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I was, I mean, like I said, I mean, they're totally different in one way, but in the same thing, like, usually my stories are about a character, and that's the most important part of the story. So, usually, if I can get you involved in caring about the main character, then, you know, everything else kind of falls into place. You know, obviously you're not going to have anxiety on a book if you don't care about the main character. You know, yeah. like you don't care. You just like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. Okay. So hopefully, like, even though they're, ve- you know, very different genres, I think they're also very much character pieces. Like character comes first. Yeah. I mean, it really shows through and um how fun was it to write the main character in plastic? Oh, Edwin's a blast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what's fun about him is that you just got to kind of put your head in a different space where and think he doesn't see the world like everybody else. So you're going through things and going, okay, normally this is the 10 ways I think people would normally react in this situation. But you got to remember Edwin would do none of those. And so then how would he react? Like what, how does he see the world? And, you know, then you're kind of fine walking this fine line of like, is he crazy or stupid or really smart? Like, because, you know, there's things he does that seem like nobody would do that, but they work out. So, you know, yeah, writing him is always fun because he's just, he's so off and so odd. Yeah. But you can tell he's also like highly intelligent and, but yeah. Oh, he, he like yeah, he's definitely off. <laughs> yeah. And then was, um, your main character with uh, AJ Gurney in the Hard Place, like he was a very cool character too. Um, he he just continually kept surprising me, and I loved the ending that you wrote for him in there too. It was just fucking awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was like in a different spot, you know. I mean, it's kind of fun, like when you look at like with Edwin and plastic. We kind of started him and he was in he was in his dream world, right? I mean, everything was going perfectly. And then we take it from him. And in AJ, we kind of did the opposite where like we, we, we walk into his life when he's at his lowest point. Like his world he's living in a nightmare. It just wants out. And then of course, you know, he thinks, you know, as everybody you hear people say all the time, you know, oh, it can't get any worse than this. Well, it always does. The second you say that, the universe is like, oh yeah. And that's kind of kind of the thing we did with AJ, you know, like, oh, you think your life is bad now? We can make it worse, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I mean, and you know, both of them. I mean, both of them have good hearts, and that's what the the base of the whole thing is, you know. And I think that's what people are looking for is, you know, they want to see a character that has, you know, even like Deadpool, right? I mean, Deadpool's crazy; he kills people left and right. But when it comes down to it, he has a good heart. 
Yeah. You know, so I think that's why people follow him. Yeah. What did you think of that movie? The first Deadpool? Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. Like I loved it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's a, it's, I think it was perfect for, you know, like the max version of Deadpool, obviously not, you know, like the regular comic, uh, Yeah. but, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, the only, the only problem I really had with the movie was I thought that first opening fight scene, you know, with the cars flipping and all that stuff mm-hmm. was so perfect that it kind of made the last fight seem a little dull in comparison. Yeah. And you know? it, it was also part of that leaked footage that came out, you know, before the movie, which a lot of people say that that was the springboard that even got it to be made was, you know, how huge that blew up online. And so right. I remember as I, and I watched the shit out of that leaked footage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then I was sad that when the official trailers for Deadpool came out, they like scrubbed that leaked footage from the internet. And it was like, Oh fuck. I used to watch this all the time. But yeah. then when the movie opened up with it, like it was really cool to see it expanded and, and you know, they, they did do some deviations in it, which was pretty cool. But that, uh, in a way, I was like, oh, man, that's, I was so hyped for this scene, and it did happen right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> right. Because that, that was the essence of Deadpool. Like, I would say that, that if there was ever a movie scene that was written perfectly for a character, about a character, that's one. Like, that entire scene is so perfectly Deadpool in every sense of the word that, like, it's it's absolute perfection. Like, there's nothing I would change about it. Yeah, that's cool. Do you got high hopes for the second one? Oh, yeah, of course. I hope so. You know, like I said, I really enjoyed the first one. And it sounds like, Ryan, you know, obviously Ryan Reynolds back, and I like watching him be Deadpool. And, you know, <laughs> obviously they're adding some new characters and stuff, like Cable and stuff. And uh, I'm kind of interested to see what they're what they're going to do. I, I, I got high hopes. Hopefully they'll deliver on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Same here, man. Um, I I really enjoyed that trailer that came out. The whole Deadpool Bob Ross thing was funny as hell. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, we just got to see glimpses of the movie, but yeah, I I, I mean, they know what they got on their hands. So as as long as they don't do something that jumps the shark too badly, you know, right? It, it ought to it ought to still test well. I mean, fuck, Deadpool blew up among people who you know had never heard of Deadpool before. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, it just turned into a household name. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it's always interesting to see. I mean, you know, you have to say, what, at least, I'd say at least 90% of the sequels aren't, you know, they, they actually damage the property versus helping the property. So that's always a scary thought, you know, that they're going to do another Deadpool because the first one was so much fun. Yeah. But I'm hoping, it seems like Ryan Reynolds really understands the character. So... I'm hoping that the second one is is at least as good as the first one. Yeah. Yeah, that's my hope too. And man, that other Fox one that's coming out, the Dark Phoenix one has me really worried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, Fox Fox has struggled. Um <laughs> That's a very nice way to put it. Yeah, I just you know, it's it's I mean, if I were to say, like, if you were to ask me what comics really got me into writing, it was that 80s X-Men Claremont burn stuff. Like, you know, that's what got me enamored with comics. Um, 
And to see like the Fox films try to even toy with any of that and you're watching it going, oh, you don't get it. Like, you know, you can tell they don't understand the entire the premise of the X-Men in, a, in its whole state. And yeah, that's always a little disappointing. That last one with Apocalypse, you know, it had its good moments. But overall, I was just like, yeah, you guys, you're falling into the same traps over and over again. Yeah, it's weird that the MCU seems to really be nailing it. I mean, they're yeah. not doing like exact, you know, adaptations of comics and stuff like especially like, you know, calling that one Age of Ultron and and but man, they are still fun to watch. I mean, it's still oh, yeah. my least favorite MCU movie. I I'd still pick over some of the other ones, you know. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I mean, they've done a magnificent I, Casting-wise, they seem to be absolutely brilliant, especially, you know, with the main Avengers cast. Um, Story-wise, I think, like, they're taking what they need from comics, and then I appreciate it anyway that they, they're like, oh, listen, we're not going to do Civil War, the 10-issue miniseries, because you can't do that in a movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to do our version. And so I really appreciate that they're not, like, necessarily like, hey, we have to stay with the comic continuity because let's face it, I mean, the comic continuity changes from, you know, decade to decade. So it's not possible. And, uh, yeah, so I love everything they've done. You know, it's it's been a blast. And like you said, not all the movies are great, but they're good. So I enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for Infinity War. I can't believe it's so close. I know, dude. And, like, that first trailer, like... I was like, oh, yes, this looks this looks good. Like, I can't wait to see. Like, they showed me just enough to make me hungry to see the movie. Did you watch that really shitty leaked uh, Comic-Con footage when it first came out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it like, it was such a tease. It was like, oh, I can't wait to see this in HD and not diagonal. <laughs> yeah. And And then, like... What they, you know, then like you said, it's not only is the the bad footage a tease, but you could tell like what they were showing. You're like, all you're doing is like you, you've actually stolen some scenes from old movies and put them in here. Like you're not showing me anything. Like all you're doing is putting the Avengers title on the screen and making me want more. You know, it's like it was yeah, it was it was awesome to see what they were trying to pull off of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't believe it's so close though. It's one I know. of those things where it's like. I almost got to put it out of my mind at times. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we just had black Panther. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, wow, this was a solid, and you know, another solid Marvel movie, you know, that I'd probably put in my top five of of the Marvel movies. And then to be following it so closely with, uh, with the next Avengers film, I'm just like, yeah, I, I mean, is the year going to be over for us at the end of the next month? Like, (laughs) you know, like, is that it? It's like, how are you going to build on that? Like, I mean, I know Ant-Man and the Wasp are coming out and that kind of looks cool too. So I'll check it out. But like, I, I'm just scared that like Avengers is going to come out and then I'm going to be like, you know, have one of those years where like everything I see after that is bad, you know, or not as good. So it's going to feel bad. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's scary. <laughs> well, especially cause there there's, I mean, there's always talk that they're going to kill off, a main character. Right. This one, it's like, is it really going to go down? Is it going to be more than one? 
Like yeah. who, who would it be? Like a lot of people's <clears throat> money is that it's going to be on Tony Stark. And that kind of makes sense because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. has already done so many movies as him that it would make sense if he wants to move on. But also he's the highest paid actor in those, in the bunch of them. I wouldn't want to move on from that shit. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's like trying to speculate, you know, cause obviously people put the point to the comics, you know, hear him go, Oh, well in the infinity war well, it's like, yeah, but if you go to the infinity war, like gauntlet, like everybody died, they're not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, so, like, what, who, are they going to kill somebody? Who will it be? You know, are, it'll be interesting to see if the Marvel movies go that route of, like, we killed somebody and now we're bringing them back. You know, are they going to change mantles? You know, like, is, Cap, is Bucky going to become Cap? You know, is there going to be a new Iron Man? Mm-hmm. You know, if they do that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what road they take if they do kill somebody. Yeah, are they are they going to bring in like a female Thor like in the Jason Aaron run? Right. So yeah, I don't know how stoked yeah. audiences would be if they actually did bring Natalie Portman in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, everything I've heard is is they would love not to ever have to deal with Natalie Portman again. So yeah, that, that's too bad. I think she is a great actress. But oh, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that last little rap thing she did on Saturday Night Live? Oh yeah! Oh that my was god! Yeah, <laughs> the bit with Princess Amidala was the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so just recently you had the it was the Emerald City Comic Con. Oh yeah, yeah. How was that? Uh, I love that show. I've been going to that show probably for the, the better part of fifteen years. And uh, there's first it's in Seattle, which I love going to Seattle. I just love the city. And then it's always been one of my favorite shows, even back when like it was just Jim Dimonakos and his brother running it, George. And uh, I mean, the thing is now it's just it just keeps getting bigger every year. So it was interesting to see this year. I think it's the first time I've seen where like a lot of the editors are doing all their business off site versus coming to the show and, and meeting people. So it's getting to that size to almost like the San Diego, New York thing where like if you want to have a meeting, you better set it up before you get to the show because you're not going to find them on the showroom floor. And uh, of course, you know, Emerald City has one of the biggest artist alleys, too. And, uh, yeah, that's I love comics. It's about comics. That's what the show's great about is they still focus on comics. And then such a huge artist alley. So, dude, I just go up there and, you know, salivate over everybody's art for like four days. You know, so it's it's a blast. <laughs> That's too cool, man. I'm going to uh, C2E2 this year, and it'll be my first Comic-Con. Oh, nice, yeah. You're going to love that show, man. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm not the biggest people person, but it's like I'm going to push past that, and I'm going to go yeah. and enjoy, you know, like, like you said, checking out Artist Alley, checking out some panels, uh, meeting some, you know, friends from the podcast and whatnot, and... Yeah, it ought to be pretty cool, but yeah, with uh, with all the changes you've seen that one go through, like, do you think that a lot of those changes are for the better because you know it's obviously getting, you know, comics are becoming more mainstream, and and do you think that there is some loss in the fact that you know you can't just run into editors any anymore? 
I mean, from a professional standpoint, obviously, you know, me, it's it's better if I can just like walk around the floor and, you know, casually meet some editors from time to time and, and you know, set up plans for later kind of stuff. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's here's a pure comic book show. Like there's almost no there's very few celebrities at that show. And it's great to see like there's still more and more people coming to a comic book show every year. And so, you know, yeah, do I like the old days when like you could walk up to a lot of big name writers and, and artists and just have a conversation with them without being interrupted for say 10, 15 minutes, of course. Um, but on the flip side, like, do I like to see, you know, a comic book convention that's again, you know, a comic book focused convention for like 20 plus years continue to grow in popularity? Of course. So, you know, there's a pros and cons of both. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, what's it like going this year versus, you know, like, especially with the release of both plastic and hard place, was it, was it different this year? Was it a little bit crazier? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little bit different when you have a little bit of success, like with plastic and the hard place. Um, you know, it's fun to see like people recognize you and, and like, it's, it's weird to have those people that, you know, like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're here. And you're like, I'm just Doug. You know, it's like it's, there's that weird section. And then, you know, having some publishers come up and say, hey, we'd like you to work for us, you know, is kind of like a, a new and interesting uh, way, you know, just based on on two books that came out last year. And, you know, I did two signings at the Image Booth and both of those went really well. You know, just get a chance to connect with people, you know, and, and talk about the book, you know, obviously give them a signature here and there and that kind of stuff. It's, it's a blast. Like, I love doing that stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you uh, do you notice much of a difference in the fan base? Like someone's walking up and you're like, "Oh, this is definitely a plastic fan." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it, plastic is the easiest, right? I mean, the hard place. You know, there's plenty of people that like action movies, so like Fast and Furious, you know, uh, Baby Driver, stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of different people that like that, and that's an easier sell. Um, the great thing about plastic is all you have to do is say sex doll and they either walk away disgusted and never want to see you again, or they lean in and go, Oh really? What? Tell me more. <laughs> so, you know, there's like a definite, like straight up easy way to like tell if they're your kind of, you know, if they're the kind of person that would buy plastic or not. The interesting thing is that after all the shows I did last year and the, like seeing the sales, Overall, at the end of the year, 70% or more of our fan bases that bought the books at shows were female. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Not something I would have expected. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, you know, you got, you got the deadhead covers, you know, with severed head and blood everywhere. And you got female readers coming up going, hey, what's this bloody book about? And you're like, huh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, but, that's pretty cool. Oh, oh yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard that like uh the female um you know con goers are actually, you know, growing quite a bit and mm-hmm. I don't know, the the cosplaying and stuff is pretty cool with yeah. um with with all the different women that really embrace that and and do these different characters and stuff and I don't know, it's just one of those things that you know, as far as cons go, I don't have, you know, any experience with it yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing 
what it's all like and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, like that's what you'll love about it. And I mean, I can remember, you know, like I said, I've been going to Emerald City for over 15 years. And I can remember when the, you know, the ratio was like 20 men to every one female. And, you know, it, it, that's just the way it was. It was kind of like this is a guy's party. And now it's at least 50 50. It might even skew a little bit more towards the female. And so it's really cool to see that. And then, you know, I've got friends that are cosplayers and like seeing them like be able to build kind of like a small business around being, you know, a cosplayer and like all the effort and hard work they put into doing some of those costumes. And some of those costumes are unbelievable or like movie quality stuff. And yeah, dude, I mean, I think you'll have a blast seeing it because like what's fun about a comic book show is you'll see people who come up, you know, they've done like their whole costume out of cardboard. And then you see a working Iron Man armor, you know, like it's that, that difference, you know, like that far away from one end to the spectrum to the other. Yeah, I can't wait to see some of that stuff. It's going to be too cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be just trying to not geek out the whole time. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, being that you had a pretty packed schedule this year, were you able to get and walk around the floor quite a bit? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I didn't set up at a table this year, so um, and yeah, you know, I kind of prefer that because I can kind of come and go at the show as I is, is you know when I'm ready. Um, I mean, I spend most of my time at the show, but being able to walk around. I mean, obviously Saturday, you know, when it's shoulder to shoulder, that's a little bit like it gets a little bit overwhelming from time to time. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just being able to walk around and like see everything and take your time and meet new people and meet new artists. And you're like, wow, I love your work. You like you said, you know, you take, take pictures of cosplayers and you know, some of the amazing stuff they do. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun, man. It's, I mean, you get, you're worn out. Like by, by the end of Sunday, I can barely talk. You know, I'm so mentally exhausted and physically exhausted. I just want to like go back to my room and crash. You know, it's a, and it usually takes me about three or four days after a show to get back up to full speed. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine it'd be a big, big exhaustion of both physical and mental energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're walking around. I mean, if you're walking, like you're, you're on your feet, you know, anywhere from six to 10 hours in a day straight. And so like, you know, you know, going to something like C2E2, I will tell you, like, make sure you have snack bars, make sure you have gum, you know, that kind of, make sure you're, you know, getting in the right fluids. Um, cause you know, that's 10 hours. I'm sure you're not used to walking for 10 hours straight. <laughs> so <laughs> not too much these days. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be prepared, like to, you know, have food on hand. So you don't have to like go wait in the line for an hour to get a hot dog, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and in so yeah. Chicago, I bet it's probably like $10 for a hot dog. Oh, yeah. Well, and what's great, I mean, now, you have to have a Chicago, go to a proper place and get a Chicago hot dog because Chicago makes some of the best hot dogs in the world. But, <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that, dude, because so far yeah. I've just been focused on pizza. <laughs> yeah, they're also known for hot dogs. So, yeah, you have to go get a good Chicago hot dog. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know. When you get in there, man, yeah, you gotta you gotta plan ahead. You know, it's uh, it's it like I said, it's so exhausting. And I've, I give I gave up sodas like about three years ago now. But the only time I drink soda is at a show, so I can get caffeine. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I have to caffeine up for a show. 
do you usually go for coffee or tea or anything like that? No, mine's my go-to for caffeine is Mountain Dew. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's a, I'm not a coffee. I've never been a coffee drinker and I, I'm, I, I don't like hot drinks. So, you know, carrying a Mount, Mountain Dew around with me is pretty easy. And, uh, you know, I know they're horrible for me. And, you know, every time I drink one, I lose like a year of my liver. But, <laughs> <laughs> I got a but, friend who uh, lives on the stuff. Oh, I can't. He seems yeah. to be in very good shape. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it's the only thing that will keep me going, man. I mean, I've tried like teas, but there's just not enough caffeine in them. And, uh, you know, I hit a Mountain Dew, man, and that'll keep me going for an hour or two easy. Yeah. Yeah, at work, we got a Keurig right outside my office door. And so oh, I drink way too much tea and coffee, but I, I really <laughs> like hot drinks, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, does it, does it get cold where you're at? Oh, yeah. You don't and, like hot, hot, hot cocoa on a snowy day? No, dude. I like it. I know it's weird. <laughs> no judgment. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my wife loves them. She feels the same way you do. I mean, my wife drinks hot drinks in the summer. But I'm just like I like I don't like hot drinks. Like they're too much work for me. Like they always burn my mouth. You know, so <laughs> if I do get a hot chocolate, I'll wait till it gets cold and then I'll drink it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of my favorite things, man. Going for a snowy hike and taking like a thermos full of like hot apple cider or something like that. Yeah. I mean I love apple cider, but I just like it cold. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Um, what's one of the coolest things you've seen at a con? Wow. I mean, yeah, that's I've been a big question, con- right? Yeah, I've been doing cons for a while. And so you can imagine I've seen everything on, on the end of every spectrum that you can imagine. Um, the cooler things is just like probably one of the more fun kind of things is like when you have an exhibitor's badge. Sometimes I've gone in early just to check out the showroom floor before everybody gets there. And every now and then you'll run into a big name in either in the industry or like even like a Hollywood star and you talk to them for 30 minutes just about stuff. And those to me are always my best memories. Like I went in really early one time to San Diego and um, Sean Patrick Flannery, you know, that was in uh, Boondock Saints. Yeah. For some reason he was in there just sitting down. And so like I started talking to him, he asked me to sit down with him and we talked for an hour about everything you can imagine. I mean, it wasn't like we were just talking about, you know, me being a fan of his. It was just like, we were talking about life and different things. And like, I didn't know he would, he had, a, he has his own MMA dojo. And so we were talking about that. And then we got into, you know, talking about the MMA at, at large. And, you know, I mean, dude, it was just like, those are, that's one of those things where like you get to know somebody a little bit and you're like, man, this guy's really cool. He's a normal person. And those are the kind of things that like I latch on to. You know, those are the kind of memories that I love. Yeah. Yeah, good good experiences like that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and then there was one year I just happened to be with some friends that Jim Lee knew. So Jim Lee asked all of us to go to dinner with him. And so, like, you know, you're here you are having dinner with Jim Lee. You know, and you're like, how did, I, how did I end up here? Jim Lee doesn't know who I am. Yeah. You know, it's like... <laughs> But I mean, again, here we're all sitting eating dinner and Jim's treating me like a normal human being. You know, he's talking to me just like a normal person would, like if you and I were out having dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like it's always really cool to like get to know and, and see somebody that's you know got that kind of name and that kind of following 
and they're still genuine and real. Yeah, that's that's kind of the scary thing about meeting your heroes potentially, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> like you I've heard horror stories about oh, like fucking Bruce Willis and shit like that. Oh yeah. And, and when you when I hear those stories it like it bums me out. Like where it's like, "Oh, dude, I grew up watching Die Hard." And if I were to like run into you on the street and say I love Die Hard inside your head, you'd be like wishing me dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, "Fuck." That's <clears throat> kind of sad. But that, that's I, I, cool to hear that, you know, that you run into people that are just great. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have run into people that weren't great, but, you know, that's usually like a, a 30 second to a minute kind of conversation. And I, you know, I never I never speak of them again. So, you know, it's like it's done. <laughs> I just walk away. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, like, the majority of the time, almost everybody I've met has been great. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I, I need to go through the C two E two list and see who, who's going to be there for celebrities. But I don't. I don't know if I'd wait in a line for a long time just to like take a picture or anything like that. Yeah, you and I are on the same boat there. I'm not like the photo op kind of guy. You know. Now, now if you want to, if you want me to pay three hundred dollars to sit down and have lunch with, say, like Chris Evans, then I'm in. But like three hundred dollars just to have my picture taken with him, well, that doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the same page as you there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also it's like, oh, it's like, it'd be cool to have a picture of it. It's like, fucking then I'm in it too. And I got to look at myself. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to see a picture of myself. Um, I just, I just rather Chris Evans, give me a picture of him. I, you know, that, that would be fine. Uh, but like I said, I mean, it's, you know, getting a chance to talk to him would be cooler to me than like, you know, Hey, stand here real quick, take a picture. Okay. Next in line. So, yeah, and you know, for the celebrity, I can only imagine that that is, on some levels, I could see how uh, you could really easily grow to hate that. But I mean, yeah. in, unless you're like really a people person, you're like, no, I love hanging out all day and just meeting random strangers over and over again. Yeah. But wow, <clears throat> you talk about being mentally exhausted at the end of the day. I bet that would be a huge one. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Like, the, and there's people that are fantastic at it. You know, and like everybody they meet, those people walk away and you feel like they feel like they're best friends with them afterwards. You know, so there's people that are magnificent at it. I mean, right off the top of my head, like Rosario Dawson shared a booth with the company I was working with, um, 12 Gauge Comics. And she's one of those people that like not only can she do it for 10 hours straight and be like Rosario at 100 percent the entire time. Everybody that talks to her leaves going, I'm now Rosario's friend. Oh, that's awesome. And like, you want to talk about crazy. Like I've seen her remember somebody she saw three years before by name. Holy cow. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, Yeah. I'm like, I don't have that. Like I don't have that ability. My memory's not at that level. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that, man. Yeah. Whenever I'm watching like a uh, a police procedural and they ask somebody like specifically like where were you on this date I'd be like I would not be able to tell them <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like your guess like, as good as mine let's check my Facebook and see if I wrote anything <laughs> yeah like I'm, I'm not sure I can tell you what I did last Thursday you know like much less <laughs> yep <laughs> a month or two ago yeah. <laughs> 
That's impressive, though. I mean, you think uh, the amount of people that sh- she must meet in a year right. if she's doing that sort of stuff, or over three years, and then remember someone like that. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and she's so dreamy too. Oh yeah, dude. and she's mag- she's wonderful. Like I got to hang out with her quite a bit during those couple of years when she was doing the OCD comic, and uh, and I mean she's just a wonderful person. Um, always, like I said, she's always in a good mood. She's always lovely. She's funny, and you know the fact that like like I said, I mean she's going to make you feel like you're like in the circle, like oh I'm in the tight circle of Rosario friends. She's just great at it. So she had done a comic, or she was involved with one. Yeah, she was involved with a comic that came out from Image called OCT, Occult Crimes Task Force. And she was the co-creator on the book. And she's, you know, if you see the book, you'll go, oh, yeah, that's Rosario. And so for like three years straight, she came to at least one show where she and I would be in the same booth. And she was always, like I said, she was always a pleasure to be around. Oh, that's cool. Was she like one of the writers or an artist on it? or? Oh, she was one of the writers. Yeah, she was, awesome. co- like I said. Yeah, she was co-creator. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, I think if you met her and you talked to her for an hour, you'd be impressed. Like, she's a magnificent person. Oh, that's too cool. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan just of of her acting and everything, but I'm going to have to check out OCT now. Yeah. Um, You kind of touched on 12-gauge comics there. Um, yeah. Uh, when I was... Okay, let's see. It was probably just a few weeks ago I signed up for Comixology Unlimited. And so right. I'm still trying to orient my brain into this. Oh, you can just, you have all these comics at your fingertips now. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I uh, read about the ride, I was like, okay, this is a Doug Wagner book I haven't read yet. And so I picked that up and then got to the end of the book and was reading the, you know, all the different 12 gauge stuff. And I'm not super familiar with that one. Um, but I've read the first story arc of the ride so far and I really, really dig it. I mean, I know it's an older book that you did that in like 2004, if I'm remembering right. Oh yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. That was a, I mean, that book's always a blast. I mean, what's cool about it is it's basically an anthology, but it all revolves around the 68 Camaro and kind of like all the lives it can comes into contact with. And just depending on how things go, like the car might be a good luck charm. It might be a bad luck charm. You don't know. And so, you know, very crime noir, but then there's also like mixing, you know, horror and, you know, a couple of other things. And, uh, it, dude, the cast that's always been on it, like Kevin Gardner is the president of 12 Gauge. And, um, he's always picked magnificent artists and writers to be on these books. You know, Ron Mars has been on there, Chuck Dixon, um, you know, artist wise, obviously Brian Stelfreeze, Jason Pearson, Adam Hughes. You know, the list is pretty, pretty extensive. And uh, what's cool is that, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you pick up the book because it's always going to have different feels, you know, depending on the team on it. So, yeah, that's a fun book. Yeah, I've, I'm just two issues into it so far, but they were only $1.99 each on Comixology, yeah. so I just bought all 10. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be working through it. And then I picked up Gun Candy also, and I haven't I haven't started that one yet because I, I had the feeling that I should probably read the ride first. Yeah, you want to read the first two issues of the ride first, and then and then jump into Gun Candy. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, Gun Candy with Brian and I is kind of like our our dream project, and we just had a blast like writing this crazy eighteen year old assassin and kind of like her origin story. 
you know, and she's kind of the person, you know, like she'll fire a, a rocket launcher inside a room, you know, like she's completely <laughs> insane and pretty much invincible in her head. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy that one. I really enjoyed her character in those first two issues of, um, of the ride or was it just the first issue probably? Yeah. I think it was just the first issue. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she was nutty. Like she oh, yeah. almost had like a, a, a Harley Quinn nature to her. Yeah. Where it was like, Oh, I like this character. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see that. And that's, you know, I mean, she's just crazy. You know I mean? She's got the kind of Catholic girl school, school uniform as her costume. And, and, uh, yeah, she's definitely insane. I mean, it's, What's fun about that is working with Brian is Brian and I always, we work so well together. And what's always fun about it is he'll say something and go, do you think it's too far to go? And I'll be like, no, I don't think we've gone far enough. What if we did this? And we just keep (laughs) topping each other until we come up with something that's absolutely insane. And then we go, okay, we finally hit it. Like, that's what we want to do. Oh, I love the sound of that process. That's too cool. Oh, yeah. Well, you know the scene where there's splash page with Lacey where she's standing on the hood of the car? Uh Uh-huh. So that started out where, like, Brian was like, you know, I'm thinking of, like, putting in the background of, like, there's a car on fire, you know, that's flipping. And I was like, you know what would be funny? What if it's a church bus? I mean, a church van. <laughs> He's like, oh, what if it was a bus? You know, and obviously, if you go back and look at that, there's a, a, a bus that's on fire that's flipping in the background. You know, so that, that's just the kind of way we work. We're always like, hey, how can we take this a step further and not make it seem too insane, or, you know, somewhat believable? And, uh, yeah, it's working with him is always a joy. That's awesome. Are, are you still doing stuff with 12-gauge then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Plastic and um, The Hard Place both came through like kind of like the 12-gauge image channel. Okay, cool. So what's great is like, being a creator, like I don't want to deal with numbers and all that stuff. So Kevin kind of handles all that for anybody that's working through 12 gauge. And so what's great is like, he can kind of, he's not necessarily an editor, but he's kind of that guy that like helps you run the ship. Like you can just call him and go, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he'll go, okay, let's run the business sense through it and see if it makes sense to do this. And, uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's incredible to work with. Like the fact that he takes care of all that for you, takes it off your plate because, you know, being the writer on a team on an image book basically makes you the manager of the team. So, you know, you're already, you've already got a lot on your plate and for Kevin to take away like, Hey dude, you handle the solicitation stuff. You know, you, you handle talking to image about a lot of things, you know, and just pull me in when you need me. Cause I got to worry about, you know, making artists and colorists and letters be on time. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, I mean, because just because you're, you know, a creative person that can come up with these great ideas for a comic book doesn't necessarily mean you also have great business sense and can oh. run numbers and stuff. In fact, it's probably totally opposite sides of the brain at work there. Oh yeah, dude. And trust me, like I know too many creatives and we suck at that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always need either to be reined in or to, you know, like, Hey, you need to do more of this. So it's always fun to see like, you know, Kevin like is totally a business guy. And so when he steps in, he's like, yeah, 42 alternate covers might be too many. You know, and you're like, are you sure? Because this would be fun. And he's like, yeah, that's insane, guys. It's going to end up costing you money. So, you know, having that that side of the equation to where, you know, you've got somebody that, you know, has your best interest at heart, but also is looking out for you, you know, money wise is always a pleasure. You know, it's like that's 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 irreplaceable. 
<laughs> no, is that just hyperbole, or did you really want to do forty-two variant covers? Oh, oh no, no, no. That's yeah, that's total, total BS on my part. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, because if you did, I really want to hear about that. <laughs> I mean, now in a in a perfect world, would I hire every single artist that I love to do an alternate cover? Yes. Would it cost me like twenty thousand dollars? Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you have to have a lot of faith in that book, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's gonna sell like the Holy Bible. <laughs> we yeah. can afford this. <laughs> I've seen you know I've seen people do that. I mean you know I have my different you know, thoughts on variant covers and that kind of stuff. Cause sometimes I think, you know, I, do you want another artist to do a variant cover for the outside of your book? You know, I know it helps sales, but like, I don't want a reader to pick it up and go, Hey, this doesn't look like the cover. Um, but at the same time, you know, yeah, of course I want to hire, you know, Eric Canetti and Andrew Robinson and Brian Stelfreeze and Adam Hughes. And, you know, the list goes on and on of the people that I'd want to hire to do covers for my book. But, you know, it's just not feasible you know, in the market to have, like you said, 42 variant covers, the book's not going to make that kind of money. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Man, you brought up those Brian Stelfreeze ones and I immediately thought of the hard place covers. <laughs> oh yeah. Those covers. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was great about those? I mean, he, you know, I basically, you know, he knows, Brian knows if I come to him, we're going to, I'm going to be experimenting because I, I kind of feel like we, you should always kind of be pushing boundaries a little bit. And, uh, I, you know, I came to him and, uh, you know, we talked to him and we're like, hey, we'd like to do the hard place covers. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't want it to look like anything else that's on the stands. You know, I can't compete with Marvel and DC. So I don't want it to look like a Marvel and DC book. And so, you know, he's like, oh, I think I'm going to do these watercolor things. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, and when they came out, you're just looking at them. And you're like, yeah, there's nothing else like these on the stands. There's nothing even close. No, no, there's not. You know, and then like what's really cool is if you go into it, like Brian's got this philosophy of like he took the hard place title. And so in every cover, there's something hard, like physically hard and something soft. And so like usually all the characters are done in like a soft light because, you know, they're made out of flesh. And then what he kind of felt like the antithesis of what they are is the hard part. So, you know, like you got AJ in the background in this really soft light with the car, you know, so it's just like a lot of fun. If you go back and look at all that stuff, you know, even the one with the, the Frenchie on it, you got a Frenchie with a necklace. So there's something tangibly hard with something tangibly soft. Oh, that is too cool. I've looked at those covers a million times and I've never made that connection. That's too awesome. Oh, don't worry. I didn't make that connection until he told me. I'm just. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sounding smarter than I am at that point. That's Brian telling me what he thought after he did the covers. I'm like, dude, how did you come up with this idea? And that's when he told me. And I'm just like, yeah, that's brilliant. That is, yeah, totally. Those are great. I mean, those are like those five in a row. I'd love to have those like in a frame, just like a sequential frame that would have them all up. Yeah, I mean, because the color and, and all the detail and everything, I mean, he, he knocked it out of the park on those covers. Oh, yeah. And it did, like, you know, we, you know, obviously when he's working for 12 gauge, like Kevin's like, hey, we're pretty, we're going to pretty much be happy with whatever you do. So go nuts, like experiment with what you want to try. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff he did on there is just like, you know, you're looking at it and going, I'm not sure. You know, if I tried to do this, this would even come close to working. Like, I don't understand some of it, but it's beautiful. 
So it's just, a, you know, I mean, you know, for him to like do the monkey and the zebra the way he did them and then, you know, to put a Frenchie on the cover, you know, which isn't like a main character, but is a character in the book. And yeah, you know, you're just he's, he's experimenting to see what will work and what won't work. And it's that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love a good cover on a comic book. The the Dustin uh, Nugent covers that he did those variants on Super Sons. Oh, yeah. Were, were really great. And I mean, of course, like all of his work on Descender is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one. I mean, there's a book right there. I mean, if you look at that and talk about experimenting, like Dustin could have easily done like his normal, you know, Marvel DC work on that. Right. Yet he kind of goes, hey, I'm going to color this different. I'm going to kind of approach the storytelling different. I'm going to draw a little bit different. Um, and, you know, thank God it's successful because it needs to be because he really stretched his his own limitations on that. And it's fantastic. Yeah. The, the first issue of Defender I read was in digital and I didn't even finish it. I went, OK, <laughs> I'm going to pull out my phone right now. I'm getting on Amazon and I'm ordering this trade because I need to read this in print. I need to look at these pictures on paper. Right. And wow. Just, just wow. That, that book is incredible. Yeah. It's so unique. And I, I, I've heard it's going to be wrapping up soon, which makes me both excited and sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's bittersweet when you get used to something being ongoing. When I, when I get into a book and I know from the start, like, okay, this is a, you know, like a five to eight issue mini series or something. It's like, okay, I've got my head wrapped around, you know, where this writer is probably going to take me on this. But when something's just ongoing, oh, it gets so bittersweet when it wraps up. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's Invincible, you know, that just wrapped up, you know, and I mean, how many years was that book going on? You know, at least 10, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, when they were, when I heard, Oh, this is going to be the last issue. I'm like, what? Like I'm used to getting my Invincible every month. Like that's one of the things I look forward to. <laughs> What am I going to do? Like, now what? You know, it's like, how am I going to get my fix? Yeah. I think I'm up to volume eight in the trades. I've been slowly chugging through them. Yeah. And it's so good. I mean, you want to talk about another good artist, Ryan Otley on that. Oh. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. And, and I, you know, I think them putting him on Spider-Man is genius. Cause yeah, he's that's pr- what I was just going to say. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with that. Yeah. Um, what, do you have very many books that you're current on right now or do you have much of a pull list? Yeah, I do. The problem is, is I have a stack of comics next to the bed that I still have yet to dig into. So <laughs> I'm always like months behind. Um, probably my favorites that I've been reading lately. Um, you know, obviously I just got finished with God country. That was brilliant. Yes. Um, Oh, you know, I mean, the the image books like Saga and Paper Girls, Brown Cave On can do no wrong for me. Um, so I love both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redneck. I'm, I'm really enjoying Redneck. Donnie Kate seems to like, I don't know what he, I don't know what kind of magical powers he has, but he always seems to like write exactly what I'm looking for. Right? Yeah. I was, I was just on an, another podcast last week and I, I did a big section talking about um, just how Donny Cates seems to be able to do no wrong right now. And like, I listed out every single one of his ongoing books that's right now. And I think there's what, like five or six of them that he's juggling right now. And they're all great. Yeah. And, and like, I, reactor and baby teeth and redneck. And 
And then his his Marvel stuff. Have, have have you read his Thanos run yet? I haven't gotten into that yet, but I've heard good things about it. Yeah, man. I mean, you'll dig it when you get into it. It's so good. Yeah, I dude, and I I sit there and I'm so envious of like him and say Jim Zub and Justin Jordan, just to name three guys that I know are like doing five or six books every month. And I don't know how they do it. Like I'm also a writer and there's no way, there's no way I could write quality books doing five or six a month. It's not possible for me. And so, yeah, just to watch those three guys, I'm always in awe of how they all three deliver solid books on a monthly basis at that rate. Well, they must have amazing time management skills. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think all three, Three, especially those kind of guys, like they, their gut is so on every time they're writing that they're, you know, I'm always second guessing and going back and rewriting stuff. And I think they're just like, they, they have magical powers. Like I said, I, you know, just, they just happen to be those guys that can sit down and write a good story <laughs> by accident. Oh, writing. If, if you are a self-critical person, writing can be an experiment in like self-flagellation. Oh Yeah. The, the amount of times that I've sitting agonized over like a comma, like, should I do a comma? Should I do a semicolon? Fuck, it could really go either way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, just edit it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's definitely a painstaking process. I love it. But yeah, it's, it, for me to do it, it takes a lot of work because I'm at the point now to where I'm not going to turn it in until I, until I like it. And that's, that's a tough sell. <laughs> to me, like, uh, like nine <laughs> times out of ten, I'm like, yeah, this isn't any good. I need to, I need to throw this in the garbage. But uh, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Uh, what's your creative process like? Kind of taking something from an idea that's just been percolating in your head, and then eventually taking it to like a finished product. I found for me, like, I like to have several different steps, and they're smaller steps, but like overall, you know, it's going to sound like a long process. Um, obviously my first thing is to like throw down an idea and, you know, like do like two to four paragraphs and send that to like the group of people that I trust and see if I'm onto something. And then I build on that and, you know, eventually do like, say like an issue by issue summary. And then if everything seems to be flowing there with the, the guys, then like, then I go page by page. And then after I've, I've run that through the group and they've all said, you know, kind of given me their their critiques, um, then I'll finally go to scripting stage. And so then I go through the script and again, I send it out and say, Hey, destroy this. Like, tell me everything you can find that's wrong with it. And, uh, and then, you know, after you get the, the pages in, then I'll go back through and spend at least a day per issue, just polishing dialogue. So awesome. I, I love that you've got a group that you can like, that you can hand and say, Hey, destroy this. Oh yeah. Because it, it is, it is hard to judge your own stuff and to have a group of people that you trust that'll do it like that. That's yeah. That's, that's an amazing tool in your arsenal, man. Oh yeah. And it took, it took years to build that group. Um, cause you know, you're going to run into people that just don't, I think the worst thing a creative can do to another creative is not give, not try to see their vision and try to make it their vision. And it's like, oh, here's my Captain America story. Well, if I rewrote it, this is what it'd look like. That's the worst kind of critique you can give somebody. Because you're not trying to go, hey, I want to see what Joe's vision of the Captain America is. 
and help him realize his vision. Mm-hmm. So trying to find those people that like can approach it that way and be completely blunt and honest, because, you know, if they're not being blunt and honest, it doesn't help you. Um, you know, and it may sting a little bit, you know, from time to time, you know, like, yeah, this scene is just, there's no reason for it. You're like, Oh, I really like that scene. But you know, if, if, if my gang's telling me I need to rethink it, I need to take a hard look at it. And, uh, you know, after you go through it so many times, you know, what's cool is you kind of become a little bulletproof because you trust these people explicitly. And so everything they say, you know that they're saying it in your best interest. And so, you know, I've been in different writing groups where everybody in there was kind of, you know, there's, there's little click groups and, you know, they're trying to necessarily not help somebody. They're trying to keep them down. So their critiques are overly harsh in a way that isn't helpful. You know, and that's not the kind of people you need to be around. No, you know, that's that's not going to help you. Yeah, that is wow. That is just awesome. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't know. I just I just recently published and I self published my first novel, and that was one of those things to where I had just had a heck of a time. I I got plenty of people to read it before I published it, but it was, it was almost always just like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's like, it's like well. But thank you. But at the same time, I'm going to be showing this to more people than they're just close friends. Right. You know, people who don't give a shit about saying, you know, hey, this thing sucks. This is this is awful. And yeah, so I don't know. That would just be such a great thing to have a support group like yeah. that. Um, well, like I said, I mean, now don't you know, don't feel like I walked out the door one day and put together the group and it was perfect. It took it, it took <laughs> yeah. decades to find the right people. You know, it's and and you know, everybody's like I said, y'all got to be kind of on the same page mentally. Everybody's got to understand, like, if I give you some critique and you don't use it, I'm okay with that. You know, like if I'm like, I don't like this part of your book and you're like, well, everybody else did. And I kind of like it. So I'm keeping it. And I'm not, you know, I don't get offended. You don't get offended. Nobody's getting offended about this kind of stuff. That's the kind of group you need. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine it would take years to put that together. You didn't have like a cut scene like at the beginning of Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, it's just finding the right people for, you know, because not everybody's going to have the same story sense you will. So, you know, I mean, sometimes having people with opposing story senses can be a little bit helpful, but at the same time, uh, at least in my, you know, views, it's it's always been more harmful than good. Cause then you're, you're trying to write something that you can't write. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're not going to come to me and like have me write the next fast and furious. That's not in my wheelhouse. You know? So if somebody's trying to turn the hard place into the fast and the furious, I'm going to, it's not going to work for me. I'm going to write it poorly. So you got to kind of know your own limitations there too, but then you got to find people that understand that's not what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. That's yeah, that's really great. Um, kind of along that same vein, like what was um, what was the path that led to you getting your first book published, and what was your first one? My first one. So there's there's kind of like two times I broke into the industry. The first one was actually back in the nineties with Malibu comics. And so like I was working with, uh, Cully Hamner and I put together like a creator own pitch 
and Malibu accepted it. And so they let me do an issue of Ultra Force, and they were going to let me do a couple of other fill-in issues while Cully was finishing up Firearm, and then we were going to jump on this new book. And during that whole process, Marvel bought him and put him out of business. <laughs> so, you know, like, oh, shit. crashed. And I didn't handle it as well as I should have. Um, so I kind of disappeared for another, like, eight years. And then basically, going back to the ride, um, Kevin Gardner and I were sitting around one time just hanging out. And we kind of talked about both of us wanted to be work doing something in comics. And it, we both came to the realization about, like, how about we just do it? And so the ride was kind of my second venture into comics that kind of broke me back in. And, you know, it was just one of those, like, I mean, if you go back and you look like, like a lot of big name creators, you're going to find out a lot of them came to that same realization. Like, okay, Marvel and DC won't give me my first shot. And honestly, I mean, like they probably shouldn't, you know, Marvel and DC shouldn't be your first writing gig. Um, you know, you'll find like Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, um, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on, but like they all did self-publishing first, you know, and that kind of shows everybody like, yeah, I'll do this whether you pay me or not. And that's kind of the, the venue or the avenue I took to get to the ride. Like Kevin and I just sat down and like, how can we make this happen? We want to do our own book. I love it. That's excellent. Yeah. So like the ride then was... That was like your real first independent one then? Yeah. Wow. That was a good one for your first independent, dude. Oh, yeah. I was I was lucky that I built up quite a few uh, friends along the way. You know what I mean? You know, like I said, I mean, I was already friends with Cully Hamner, and he was kind of like the, the guy that helped hook me up with, like, say, George Genty and Dexter Vines. And uh, at that point, I'd already known Brian Stelfreeze and Jason Pearson for a while. You know, and to be able to pull those guys in and say, hey, can you – can you help us out and like do eight pages and for them to say yes was, you know, I mean, uh, not everybody gets that lucky. And, uh, that's really all it was is just, you know, the, I've known these guys for about 10 years and luckily for some reason they liked me and agreed to do the book. <laughs> that's too cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was, um, okay. Was there one thing that kind of inspired you on the ride, or was it more kind of just spitballing back and forth with Kevin, like you were saying? Or yeah, a lot of spitballing, especially with me and Kevin, because we, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do, and you know, obviously we wanted to do something that maybe wasn't mainstream at the time. How can we do something a little bit different? Because we knew, you know, obviously we we couldn't compete with superheroes. That wasn't going to be the thing. And then what did we think like the group of guys we'd put together would work on well together? Like how would, would that mesh well? And so, you know, obviously once Kevin and I kind of came up with the, the basic idea, then we went and talked to Brian and Cully and Jason and, and Georges and Dex and said, Hey, what do you think about this? And they kind of added their two cents and it kind of morphed into what you see now. So again, I think the key there was like, everybody kind of being open-minded like what can what can we all work on and do something really well together as a team which was fantastic yeah so far it's been a really fun read yeah yeah we had fun doing it i mean you know having that having that lineup of artists doesn't hurt so yeah i'm gonna have to dig into some and try and find some more of the the 12 gauge titles 
because yeah. just the covers that were at the back of those books, I was like, hey, these look great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had Adam Hughes and uh, Brian Stelfreeze, Dave Johnson, um, Cully Hamner. Like, I mean, there's the list of just cover artists is amazing in itself. Uh, who would you say is your favorite comic book character? My favorite comic book character? That's, man, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, the one that will always be important to me and always be one of my favorites is probably like the 80s and 90s Wolverine. Um, just because, like, you know, as a, as a young kid, like, that character spoke a lot to me because I was, I was, you know, I was having some anger issues of my own and having this, you know, main character that, like, was struggling with the same thing, you know, and kind of short and ugly, which, you know, I am. And just like seeing it, you know, back then he wasn't invincible. Like he, they've kind of made him now. And so, you know, having him fight ninjas and all that kind of stuff was always so much fun. And, uh, you know, I mean, dude, there's so many great characters. I mean, you know, the Marvel movies have made some of them even better. I think, you know, like Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. is amazing. Um, Chris Evans is Captain America, Red Falcon, you know, Ant-Man. Then, you know, you go to like Hellboy, you know, and get the independent stuff, you know, and uh, Lion Cat. I mean, I don't know how anybody doesn't love Lion Cat. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is the first statue I bought. First and only statue I've bought so far. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, I just, if, if there's a good story, there's so many great characters in comics. I mean, I, you know, I could talk for days about the great characters that are in comics. Yeah, it is a very broad question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a tough one, too. I mean, it's, you know, if you've been reading comics for a couple of decades, like, you know, you're going to have a lot of favorites. So. Yeah, I think the you... first graphic novel I ever bought was The Crow. And I oh, read, yeah. I read that when I was in middle school. And I was like, wow, I was like, it's similar to the movie, but they took some huge variations and, and man, I just, I read the cover off that thing. Yeah. So would you say that's still your favorite character? Uh, no, he's not my favorite character. Um, after I saw Batman Begins, I was like, oh yeah, I'm an adult now. I can go buy stuff. <laughs> so I went and just started filling my bookshelf with Batman books because I got obsessed with like just the the origin uh, story nature of Batman Begins, I was like, "Well, what's Batman's real origin in the comics?" And so I just started buying, basically, just going to Barnes and Noble and just buying them, you know, at retail off the shelf. Like, thank God for Amazon and stuff now. Yeah, uh, but um, so I probably have more Batman books than anything else, just as far as like trades and stuff goes. But since I've actually been buying like and having like a pull list and stuff, I've I've branched out quite a bit in other than like Batman White Knight right now, I don't even have any Batman books on my pull list, but it definitely started with Batman. And so yeah. I that's probably who I always identify with as my favorite character, but I'm I'm so far into image comics now to where it's I'd almost have to break it down by genre, you know? Oh yeah. Makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, depending on what book and what genre you're reading, what's your favorite character? Yeah. That's that's the, the beautiful thing about comics, man. Is, I mean, now, like, there's every genre, and there's good books in almost every genre. And, 
yeah. So for somebody to say, hey, what's your favorite story? It's like, well, no, I need to know what you're looking for. Like, are you talking about my favorite superhero story? My favorite horror story? My favorite, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible to see what comics has come to over the past couple of years. Yeah. And it just keeps getting better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's just so many good books out right now that – I mean, if I were to win the lottery, I'd be able to actually have them all on my pull list and really be able to read them all. Yeah. <laughs> As it is, I, I got my pull list down to about two dozen. And, yeah. Oh, and, it, it, and it just grew by two more when Gideon Falls and Oblivion Song came out. Yeah, I'm interested to see about I, I'm I'm dying to see Oblivion Song. I mean, Robert doing a new book totally intrigues me. I'm so yeah. curious. It was a very strong first issue. Cool. And, and I've uh, he's got a letter at the end of it saying that as you're reading this, we're working on issue 13 right now. Wow. And it's like, whoa, way to get ahead of the game, dude. That's awesome. Yep. And yeah, that was that first issue was great. Um, yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think of it because I mean, you you could there's this feeling reading it that that Robert Kirkman knew what he had on his hands when he was writing it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's just the... Have you read the sample pages that were in the backs of some issues and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It it pretty much opens with that, and it sets an excellent tone for that whole first issue, and it's got a clincher of a last page, and they they knocked it out of the park. I mean, and to see Robert, like, doing a new book is just... I'm so happy. Like, you know, as a a fan of comics, because let's face it, like... He's made plenty of money doing Walking Dead with AMC. He could just probably do movies and TV for the rest of his life and be fine. Oh, yeah. But to have him come back, you know, and write a comic again, a new comic, dude, I'm blown away. Like, I'm, I'm so impressed and happy that he's doing that. Yeah. And doing it well, also. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, do you generally read a pretty wide uh, variety of the genres in like the independent books? Oh yeah, I'm all over the place. Um, yeah, like you were saying, like there's stuff like Nailbiter, Nailbiter, and Redneck, which you know are more on the horror genre. Um, I don't know what exact genre you put Paper Girls and Saga in, but I read those. Um, that's not Moonshine. What's the other one? What's the other one that's got more of an animated style from Image? It starts a moon something. There is one called Moonshine where it takes place during the when alcohol was pro provided. Right. And I did and like that's that like too. with werewolves and stuff. I read the first volume. It was pretty pretty good. I'm thinking Moonstruck. Okay, I don't know if I've read Moonstruck. Yeah, love that one. Um Yeah, you know, and then obviously I dive into Marvel and DC books and that that shifts just depending on whether I'm enjoying the story or not. Um so right now I'm, I've dove, dove into Tom King's Mr. Miracle and I'm enjoying that. And uh, like I said, I've got the Donny Cates stuff with Doctor Strange and Thanos, but I haven't I haven't started reading it yet. And you know, obviously picked up the Dark Knight Metal stuff, and now I thought a lot of those are really good. Yeah, so yeah that's I mean, been pretty fun. Oh yeah. So it just depends. I mean, like I'm all over the place, you know. And there's even you know small like I, I even pick up some kid books. You know, it's like you know stuff people will be like, oh wait a minute. This isn't intended for you. It's like, well, if it's a good story, I don't care. <laughs> what kid books have you been reading that you enjoyed? 
What's that? What what sort of like kid books have you been reading that you're enjoying? Um, Lumberjanes. I love Lumberjanes. Um, still, you know, been keeping up with that since the beginning. Um, Over the Garden Wall. I like that one. Both from both of those are from Boom. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that. Like I, you know, I don't care. I mean, I, I'll read anything that I think you know, as long as it keeps me interested, I'm going to keep reading it. Yeah. Well, I've I've got a seven and a ten year old, so I've am immersed in children's programming and stuff all the time. Oh yeah, so it's like it's like yeah. So if there's cool books I can pick up to like you know that I would read and they could read also, you know, the, I'm all ears. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean the Boom Kids stuff. Like Boom is you know they're they're probably leading the way as far as like doing the more all ages books of you know of all the publishers. So that's definitely a place to go to because you know they're doing a great you know obviously they. They've been winning awards doing it, so they're doing it right. One of the things I'll say about Boom also is every Boom book that I've read has had fantastic art. Oh, yeah. Like, just really good. Like, sometimes better than what I'm seeing in the Marvel and DC books, and it's just blowing my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think Ross and Philip, the guys that are kind of running the whole show over there, like, they understand, just like we were talking about a little bit earlier, like, you can't compete with Marvel and DC, so do something different, but that doesn't mean you do something with less quality. You just make it look different. And so I think they've really embraced that, and that's what like a lot of their fans are expecting now is like high quality, but it's not Marvel and DC. That's got to be the way you approach it. Because yeah. I mean, Marvel and DC are just such juggernauts in the industry. That yeah. It's it's seeming crazy. It it just would seem like a really bad business idea to like we're gonna do the exact same shit they're doing, but on a smaller level. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, what you know, like trying to compete with your book, and people are like, "What's it like?" And you're like, "It's like Batman." If if you say that, you need to walk away. Like you're not gonna beat Batman. I mean, especially when you got people like Tom King and Scott Snyder writing that stuff, like and mm-hmm. Sean Gordon Murphy. You're not going to beat that book. It's impossible. You know, and then not only to add that they have 75 years worth of, you know, loyalty built into that book. Yeah. Yeah, they they got that deep history that they're bringing with it where there's, you can't really put a price on nostalgia. No. Well, and even, it's even beyond nostalgia now. I mean, there's kids that have never read a Batman book who have a Batman t-shirt and think about Batman. You know, it's it's you know that's what the Marvel movies have done for all those characters. I mean, how many times you've been walking in a mall, or you know, I don't know if malls exist anymore, but um, you've been walking outside or taking a hike, <laughs> and you pass a guy and he's wearing a Captain America shirt. Like, you know, oh, this yeah, constantly. Yeah, I mean, it's transcended even nostalgia. It's like now it's such a part of pop culture. You know that like these people aren't even reading the books; they don't know much about Captain America. And, Maybe they've seen the movies, maybe they haven't, but they know Captain America's cool. Yeah, how does that make you feel having been in you know in the industry and as a fan of the industry for so long? Well, I love it. I know some people get mad, you know, like, oh, here's a cosplayer, and I know they've never read this book, the person they're dressed up as. I'm like, I don't care. I've never you know, understood that either. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if people are loving what you and I are doing in you know, we're in our industry that we love. Like, why would you shame anybody about that? Like, I don't care if anybody's seen the Captain America movies. If you're wearing a Captain America shirt, that just helps us all. 
that makes it more acceptable for people to read comic books. So, you know, I, I love it. I mean, it's the more, the more comic book stuff that's out there just makes it more acceptable and more, more ingrained into the culture, which may, you know, maybe someday comics will be as successful here as manga is in Japan. Yeah. I think it's all good. I, yeah. I think, I think any exposure that it gets is, is definitely a good thing. It's good for the industry. It's people keep talking about superhero fatigue in the movies and stuff, but I mean, black Panther just surpassed a billion dollars at the global box office. Yeah. Origin movie. So yeah. it's like if, if superhero fatigue is really a thing, it's more, maybe you're just going to put that on the film studios that aren't doing as good as the MCU. Or is it right. is doing a good of a job bringing these characters to life, you know? Yeah. Like DC. It, I think, <laughs> I think as long as they continue to do good movies, there's no such thing as superhero fatigue. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's look at the star Wars movies. I mean, if, if star, if there's not star Wars fatigue, there's not going to be superhero f- fatigue, you know? So, yeah, I, I just find that funny. I mean, as, I, like you said, it, it's as long as the MCU keeps putting out good movies and some of them being great, um, I think we're fine. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm still thinking about that DC thing in my head. <laughs> oh, gosh. If, yeah, if, if I had to choose between them, between Marvel and DC, I would say I'm a DC guy. And, and it, it hurts my soul that that I own justice league on digital and I still haven't watched the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it shouldn't be that way, Doug. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy to see it though. I mean, like right now DC's crushing it as far as comics are concerned. Yeah, they are. But man, they just, they can't seem to, to make the movies work for them as well as Marvel has. I mean, Marvel just came up with a plan and they followed it and you know, it's genius level stuff. And you know, the casting has been, well, I mean, I, I'd say most of the DC casting, not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it has been dead on. I love Henry Cavill, uh, Wonder Woman, you know, perfect. I'm loving Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Um, you know, so I think a lot of that stuff's like, and, and you know, they have a couple of hit TV shows and I think the casting on their TV shows has been fantastic. Uh, but it just seems like the movie thing, they just keep, you know, swinging and missing. Yeah. Do you like, what do you think should be their next move to get like the movies back on board? Is there like a storyline like that you think they, that could be adapted well to kind of take it back on track? Like there's been talk of them doing like a flashpoint or something like that to, to reboot things. But do you think like a move that drastic is necessary? Woo, that's a tough one, man. I mean, because I'm not a big fan of like, especially, I mean, rebooting something that's not working doesn't make sense to me. So, um, like, I would think I would want to take a step back and maybe, like you said, like, I mean, the fact that they already put the Justice League movie out kind of puts a, like a, a damper on how you handle this. So maybe you have to reboot it with a flashpoint. But, um, but I mean, the Wonder Woman movie I thought was good. Like, that was one of the ones I really enjoyed watching in the movie theater. So I'd hate to see them throw that away, but yeah, I mean, 
they just got to take a step back and they just got to, you know, I, I hate them. I, I hate to say this to them, but like study what Marvel has done and kind of like figure out how you can follow a similar path by establishing characters with really good movies to begin with and then move back to justice league. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you'll have to tell me what your thoughts on it. Yeah, Justice League had moments of brilliance in it that I really liked, and it had other moments that were like almost cringeworthy. Yeah, and like I I liked all of Man of Steel. Like I I just I loved that. I loved that different take, that kind of modern day take on the yeah. Superman story. Like it resonated with me really well. Um, I liked all of Wonder Woman. I wasn't the hugest fan of the way they handled the third act. Right. Um. It's, uh, Suicide Squads felt like kind of a mess to me. There were there were moments in it that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, you know, I would go so far as to say Justice League. When I when I saw it in the theater, I was like, okay, this movie is going to be like my new guilty pleasure movie. Like I left the movie <laughs> like theater like really happy, and right. I bought it on I bought it on digital the week that it came out, and I have not been able to make it into the second act. Wow. Of the movie. And I've tried watching it again, like several times. Uh, I bought Thor Ragnarok that, uh, that same week. And I've watched that all the way through three or four times. Yeah. I mean, that Ragnarok's so much fun, dude. Like the fact that they took Thor in that direction is amazing to me, like a huge chance, but I think it paid off. Like it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. That is the perfect way to describe that movie is that it was fun. Yeah. And like how how they managed to introduce Hela as the goddess of death and still make it a fun movie. Yeah. Like like Taika Waititi did a very good job walking that line. Oh yeah. And then uh Yeah, go ahead, man. Oh no, I was just going to say like I mean, like I think usually my biggest problems with a lot of the DC movies is the third act. They seem to lose control at some point. You know, it becomes gods versus gods and too much. Like they go too far. Yeah. You know, without explaining enough or, you know, giving you enough information. Um, I'm, I'm with you on the wonder woman movie too. I mean, the second, like everything I thought was really good up to the point to where like Steve Trevor dies. And then all of a sudden wonder woman has new superpowers. Oh, by the way, she never uses those again in justice league. You know, and you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, I don't understand what I'm watching. And yeah. so, you know, I felt the same. like I liked almost all of Man of Steel up until the point where they start throwing each other through buildings, and then I kind of got lost. It got a little excessive at the end, yeah. <laughs> but I still liked it. it. It triggered like my 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 the twelve year old in me. <laughs> you know, nice. I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think what I see is like the biggest difference, and it's fun because I was having this conversation earlier this week. Is Marvel understands that the action scenes are really about character. So even when you get to the third act action scenes, whether they're successful or not can be argued, but like nine times out of 10, I feel like the character moment is driving the action scene. And I think DC loses that a lot of times. Like they forget like Superman fighting Zod shouldn't just be like this cool Dragon Ball Z level fight. It should be about Superman overcoming something personally. So like, if you go back and you watch like, Winter Soldier. I mean, that whole fight scene at the end of that, where he's, you know, Captain America is trying to take out and take down the three helicopter carriers, is about him not being willing to kill his friend. Yeah. 
You know, so it's a character moment. The first Avengers one, I mean, there's character moment after character moment after character moment in that final fight scene. And so, I mean, you know, that's what empowers everything in that, you know, like Cap, them just basically turn into Cap and going, you know, we, we didn't vote on this, but you're the leader. You know, Cap, <laughs> what do we do? And Cap starts, you know, handing out orders. Um, you know, Bruce Banner showing up and they're like, hey, I think it's time to get angry. And he's like, my secret is I'm always angry. You know, stuff like that just powered the, the final act. Mm-hmm. It makes it that much stronger because it's personal now. And I think DC tends to lose that in their third acts. Yeah, and with that first Avengers, that that final battle in New York, that might have been one of the best like fighting an alien invasion scene in a movie that I've ever seen. Oh yeah. And dude, if you go watch it, like it's it's all about character. I mean, there's cool stuff blowing up left and right. But like I mean, I surely you're just like me, and like you almost started crying. When Captain America turns to Hulk and goes, Hulk, smash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's brilliant. Let's, you, you understand Captain America understands the Hulk. Mm-hmm. You know, and when Hulk goes up and fight, you know, beats the crap out of Loki. Like that whole fight scene is just like it's all about character. You learn, you reveal more about the Hulk. He's like, I don't care about all your God stuff. Yeah. You know, and... <laughs> That was yeah. such an amazing scene. He grabs him by his ankles and beats him on the floor like a <laughs> yeah. Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved that there was a callback to that in Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. You know, like he was like, now you know how it feels. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, I'm just such a huge fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest, like, you know, if you go back and watch Black Panther, I mean, that final fight scene's really about one philosophy versus another and, you know, like two different versions of basically Black Panther, like two different ways he could have been coming to power and can a King have a good heart? You know, that's like the whole point of that movie and, you know, seeing like all these characters who have good heart, which is kind of cool because it's usually powerful women in the movie. And, you know, that's what it was about. It was about like, Hey, Good people with good hearts doing the right thing can win. You know, so there was character moments all through that as well. You know, I hadn't looked at the MCU movies under that under that lens, and it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, especially with Black Panther, too, is that was just competing ideologies. Right. From I mean, and they both had a valid claim to that throne and that title. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, you go back and you look at, and you know, if you look at some of the ones that maybe didn't do quite as well, say like Iron Man three, if you go back and you watch that final scene, it's not really about Tony Stark anymore. And that's where that, I think that third act falls flat in that one because they're not focused on character. Yeah. How that ended up, making over a billion at the box office blows my mind. I, I'm with you. It's like, I walked out of that movie after that third act and I was like, Oh my God, what did I just watch? <laughs> you know, and the sad part is they had all the pieces. Like the fact that they started that movie out with Tony having PTSD and then they just kind of dismiss it later. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, like to carry that in the third act would have been brilliant. Yeah. They could have let that be a character study throughout that whole 
you know, throughout that whole movie, but oh yeah, it, it really was only featured a lot in the first, and then he seemed to have gotten over it in the second act. Yeah, which I think's a travesty to like, you know, to put something like PTSD in your story, and then to go, okay, we're done talking about that. I'm like, wait a minute, this is kind of important. You know, it's like you could actually impact a lot of lives if you do this right. Yeah, yeah, they really could have. Yeah. I mean, in that same way that Black Panther was so great, you know, for the black community. Oh, yeah. They they really could have done something special with that. And I, the, Iron Man 3 had a lot of missteps in it. Like, yeah. I, I really don't understand why it did as well as it did in the box office. Yeah, I'm with um, you. Like, what did you think of the whole Mandarin being Trevor thing? <laughs> I kind of got lost and I'm still lost. Like when I try to watch that and go, what am I watching? Cause like, I mean, I kind of like the fact that they pulled a red herring on us, but then I still don't understand the real Mandarin and like all the creepy soldiers that become super hot, you know, not like hot in a sexual way, but like hot physically. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, I kind of got lost. I'm still not sure like who the Mandarin is and what he's about. Yeah. As far as I understood it, it's like they took, you know, that Mandarin villain from the Iron Man comics and then they mashed it up with the extremist storyline. Right. And and it's just like, okay, like I, I see where you were going here. And, and like you said, I enjoyed that they did pull the rug out from under you with the Trevor reveal. And it was funny. On the one yeah. hand, that, that he was a fucking goofball, but at the same time, it was like when we were seeing him do all these videos and stuff leading up to it, it was like I I didn't like the rug being pulled out for me in that direction. I would have rather have seen him continue to be a bad guy. Yeah. And <clears throat> well, who's who's the actor? Why can't I think of his name? But I mean, I thought he was perfect. Like he's amazing. Yeah. I watch him act in anything. Is that like Ben Kingsley? Yeah, Ben Kingsley. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, to have somebody that's that good at doing that stuff, like I mean, that has that kind of screen presence and then to pull the rug out from under and be like he's a goofy ball, you know, he's a goofy character <laughs> just seemed a little like it just didn't work for me. So I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, it was a little insulting on one level, right? Yeah. <laughs> I bought let's see, I got um Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, and they were DVDs. And I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to buy them as DVDs anyway because all three of them were together for like 10 bucks or something like that at Target. And yeah, the third one has probably still got the cellophane on it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people talk shit on the second one too, but I've always enjoyed the second one. Well, the second one has a lot of great stuff in there. So, I mean, I don't think it's as solid as the story as the first one. But it's still a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, that first one's got a really solid story. And you want to talk about, like, character study. Oh, yeah. a really good job of that in that first one. Well, I mean, and there's, I mean, that's, if, if Marvel ever did anything perfectly, putting Robert Downey Jr. in that, in that role, like, solidified the MCU. Like, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is amazing. Yeah. Well, and that goes right back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast with they're not going to dare kill him off. Yeah. God. <laughs> or, or, or would they just because it would be such an emotional punch 
I mean, yeah. a lot of audience members would would really feel that. I, I just if they do kill one or more characters, I hope they do it well. You know what I'm saying? Like story wise, I hope when I leave that, like I will cry that one of those characters died, but at the same time, go yeah, that's the way that character should have gone out. Yeah, agreed. Not not nothing like how we lost Quicksilver in in Age right. of Ultron. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I want you know if they take out somebody like Tony Stark or or you know Captain America or any other of the characters like that have been around for a while, they better do it well. Like you know, if Captain America goes out, it better be saving the world, not just you know, oh Thanos throws a single punch and he's dead. Yeah. Oh, wow, that would be pretty amazing if they were to actually do that showdown like it happened in the Infinity yeah. Gauntlet comic. Oh like, yeah. It, it's such a popular book, though, and you'd think that at this point, you know, Kevin Feige probably really wants to do something different. Right. I mean, it, and if that felt like a statement from them without being a statement just when they changed their title intro from showing right. the original comic pages to now they're showing us different scenes from the movies. Yeah. Like that right there was them saying, yep, this is our own thing. And <clears throat> we're doing pretty well. The numbers don't lie. I mean, that's, you know, having, you know, you have to give the original Infinity, you know, Thanos thing its due because having Captain America be like, okay, I'm Captain America. Like, I'm not the Hulk or Thor or anybody like that. I'm just Captain America. And I've got to keep Thanos busy for 20 minutes. And the odds are is at that by the end of that 20 minutes, I'm going to be dead. You put that in the movie, that would be incredible. Yeah, I know. Can you picture Chris Evans saying, I can do this all day to Thanos? Yeah. Oh, wow, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I know. You know, it's like if you could... But, you know, if they if they don't do something that good and take out one of those main characters, I'm going to be pissed. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it, it can't be a cheap death, not when it's a, a big name that's been around for a while. Uh-uh, yeah. It better be magnificent. <laughs> Yeah, dude, Infinity War's got magnificent feeling all over it, but... Oh, I hope so, yeah. Oh, I'm trying not to get myself too hyped for it, but I, I felt <laughs> like I was super hyped for Black Panther and it didn't do anything for me. Or, you know, it didn't diminish the movie for me at all. If anything, it was like, I was right! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm trying to keep my my hopes and dreams, you know, from getting too out of control for the next Avengers movie, but um, I'm having a hard time doing that. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, are there any like developments that you're hoping are going to take place in it, or are you more just kind of waiting to just see what you're going to get? No, in the Marvel movies, like, well, actually in movies in general, like, if it's other people's properties, I tend to be, like, sit back and, like, I don't want to start conjecturing, like, on Star Wars or Avengers or, you know, what they're going to do in Justice League. It's like, I just want to kind of sit back and, like, enjoy the movie, and hopefully they do something that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, oh, geez, Star Wars conjecture right now. That's almost impossible. Oh, yeah, dude. It's <laughs> they pulled the rug out so hard on Last Jedi. Um, oh, yeah. What, what, did you, what was your opinion on Last Jedi? I mean, I really enjoyed watching the film. So this is where it's like, could I watch it again? That's usually like the first test. And yes, I could watch The Last Jedi again. I felt like it was a little bit clunky in spots because of, of all the characters they're trying to do stuff with. 
And, you know, obviously the timeline kept throwing me off. Like, so Ray's on this other planet and they're like 13 days. Wait, what's happening? I don't understand. And so there were some things there that threw me off. But like overall, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, too. Um, it, it felt a little long to me. Like in the yeah. as the second act was wrapping up, I was like, oh, wow, this is almost over. And then I'm like, wait a minute. We haven't gotten any of the crate scenes that I remembered seeing in the trailers. Right. I'm like, whoa, this is this has got a lot of movie left to go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, but that wasn't a negative for me at all. Like I, they did some great stuff in it, too, with with that ship going into hyperdrive. Oh, yeah. That and was then, incredible. Yeah. And then just having it be all in silence. When you're yep. seeing the aftermath of it, like you could have heard a pin drop in my theater. Like it was amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a great scene. Um, yeah. You know, but then there was like Luke milking, whatever that thing was and then drinking it. <laughs> I'll never, I'll never be able to get that scene out of my head and I don't understand why it was there. You know, like <laughs> I was like, why did you just do this to me? well see i think that goes back to you could say that that was a character study that he was doing everything he could to like make ray just want to leave i mean like the only way he could have made that grosser if he had taken it right from the teat yeah yeah i mean you know like i said overall i thought it was pretty good you know i had a good time watching it um you know was it a perfect film of course not you know making a perfect film is almost impossible so yeah, I have no idea where the hell they're going to go for the third one, though. Yeah, I mean, dude, the it's, ninth one. You know, they've they've made. What's interesting is they killed the emperor or whatever he was, and uh, there's Kylo, but like they've shown signs of Kylo being good, so you don't hate him. So I think for the first time, maybe in villain history or in Star Wars history, we don't have a true villain. And it seems like we've been getting that a lot more in pop yeah. culture lately, where you're getting sympathetic villains, where it's like the days of just having, well, he's the bad guy. He's evil because he's the bad guy. <clears throat> and it's like, no, I, I think audiences these days, they need a more flushed out villain. They need somebody with motives. And if, if it's somebody that you can even relate to, like like there was a big debate as to whether Killmonger could be considered a villain, an anti-hero. Like, what is this guy? And yeah. in, the end, I, in the end, I said, well, he's a villain just because of the lengths he's willing to go. But then at the same time, like when we were talking about on Salt City Geeks, and they're like, well, what would you do if you were in his shoes? And it's like, well, shit. Yeah. I, I fuck, I'd really do the same. But it's <clears> like, well, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it gets tough, and and I like it because that makes that character so much more compelling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Kyle is going to be an interesting study. You know, it's because the thing with him versus Killmonger is like at least with Killmonger, like you said, like you understood and you went, well, if I was in his shoes, I might turn out the same way. They haven't like fully developed that with Kylo yet. So you're still kind of stuck in this, like, well, I'm not sure why he's bad. You know, they've never really revealed, you know, at least from what I've seen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they've never really revealed, like, why he decided he wanted to be a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, because we we had a little bit of of what he said in The Last Jedi is that 
you know, Luke as his teacher betrayed him. Right. That night that, that, you know, Luke had that moment of weakness and he'd kind of maybe thought about killing him and, and Kylo just kind of woke up at the wrong moment and, you know, shit went sideways when it maybe wouldn't have, if if Kylo would have woke up and kept a clear head for a little bit longer, it might not have gone that way. If Luke wouldn't have been there with a lightsaber out, it wouldn't have gone that way. Right. So it's it's just one of those things where, yeah, I mean, that would be, I mean, think about it from a kid's point of view. Like Kylo knew that he was Luke's like number one pupil. Right. And he can, he was probably being cautioned to, you know, slow down and stuff like that. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night and your teacher's standing there with a lightsaber lit. And it's like, oh, this can't be good. Yeah. And he just immediately reacts in violence. And it was just from that point on, it was like, I mean, cause the, I only saw the movie the one time, but it was, it made it seem like that was the night that like the people that were more sympathetic to him joined with him and they killed all the other students and like those ones that joined him kind of became the Knights of Ren. And so it yeah. already just set him on that path. And then, you know, Snoke furthered it along. And I mean, that was one of the biggest shocks at the end of the force awakens was seeing the way that Han Solo went out. Oh yeah. And for me, it was like, there was a lot of discussion going on. Like, okay, is Kylo Ren redeemable? And for me, it's like, after doing that, yeah. Killing his own dad? It's like I for me it's no, it's not. And then I really felt like The Last Jedi further cemented that is that this character is moving further and further away of from redemption. Whereas yeah. when you look at Darth Vader's story arc in in the original trilogy, you're seeing him move towards redemption. Right. And so yeah, I mean I'm interested to see how episode 9's going to go, but I I personally think there's going to be a time jump of of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm with you. I'm I'm dying to see what they do. Cuz it's like you, you laid out everything perfectly, and I mean, I completely understand all that. I just like it seems like like when we go to Killmonger, like they showed so much and told you so much like like you and I've said like you kind of understand and and sympathize with his plight. And Kylo just like he's just switched the switch and went crazy, you know, started killing people. You're like, okay, I need to know why. There needs to be more. So it'll be interesting to see if they answer some of those questions for me. Yeah, I would like to get a little bit more of his backstory fleshed out. Yeah, um, I I think that some of the detractors of the Last Jedi that was one of the things that they were most upset about is that they had all these questions from the Force Awakens. And they were really expecting them to be answered in this. And it was almost like Ryan Johnson just gave them the finger instead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what you have to say about that one, man. Like, they just went, yeah, all that stuff that J.J. Abrams teased you with. Yeah, we don't care about any of that. We're not talking about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. Well, and that was perfectly illustrated at the beginning of the movie with Luke taking that lightsaber and just tossing it over his shoulder. Oh yeah. I mean that that was a metaphor for the the way that this movie was going to go. It's yep. like yeah, all this stuff that that you were really stoked for the last couple of years to see how it was going to go over the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, we're not dealing with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um dude, this has been a great time talking with you tonight. Oh, thanks man. I've had a great time too. Yeah. I mean, we're we're kind of getting around the 2-hour mark. We could probably wrap it up if you want. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. I mean, is there is there anything else that you wanted to cover? Or? 
No, not really. Yeah, that's, you know, just want to talk with you, so. <laughs> yeah, this has been awesome, man. Um, yeah, I'd definitely be down to have you on again, too, if you want to. Um, and, oh, yeah. Um, especially, um, well, actually, fuck, I didn't even ask you this yet. Um, I, I, I know that you, there's probably certain things you can't say, but do you got some upcoming projects coming up or anything like that? Well, I mean, the Hard Place trade does come out in June, so that's always good news. Um, but past that, at this moment, I can't say much. Yeah, it's so, understandable. You know, I mean, <laughs> Dan- Daniel Hilliard, the artist of plastic, he and I are putting something else together. But again, we have yet to be able to, to talk about any of that kind of stuff. That's and, cool. then, um, and then I'm working on a book with Hoyt Silva as well. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's definitely some more. There's hopefully three books coming out at some point this year. You know, when you're dealing in the creative field, we're all a little slow from time to time. So, yeah. you know, that happens. <laughs> you know? no, but, uh, three of them, though, that's exciting. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we're just hoping to to do something as good as we did last year. You know, so that's that's our goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I don't know. I got faith in you guys. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I got faith in you, dude. I can't wait to see what it's going to be. <laughs> But yeah, for sure. When when that stuff's um, you know, when when that's coming out, or 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 even just if you want to just get on a podcast again and bullshit, hit me up and and we'll oh, yeah. get it done because this has been great. Yeah, let's do it, man. I'm always in. I love talking <laughs> comics and everything comic related. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. Do you do you want to say anything else about where people can reach you, like social media wise or anything like that? Oh yeah, I mean I, I'm always available on Facebook. That's usually the one I I get on most, and I think it's Doug Period Wagner thirteen. So feel free, anybody that's listening. I mean, if you want to hit me up on Facebook, I'm always available there. That's when I check the most. I'm also on Twitter, and I think that's Doug underscore Wagner. Um, I don't do Twitter quite as much. Um, Facebook seems to be my my preferred social media. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm usually on Facebook a couple of times a day, and will respond to anything. So hit me up. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so Doug, thank you so much for being on. Oh, and, my pleasure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, thank you all very much for listening until next time. This has been Startcast. If you have any questions or comments on what you just heard, you can email me at startcastpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the tubby ninja, or you can check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash startcastpod. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, I'd like to take a moment to ask you all a big favor. If you enjoy listening to StartCast, please log on to iTunes and leave me a review. It uh, really helps with visibility for the show, and um, I would super appreciate it. If you're not a fan and you want to be honest and tell me how much my show sucks, go ahead and leave me a one of those too.